Good evening, and welcome to The Dark Art, horror with heartfelt appreciation from two lifelong fanatics. My name is Marin Mascaro. And my name is Jake Conrad. The Dark Art is a double feature, and during tonight's discussion, we head all the way back to 1978 to take a stab at the original slasher classic John Carpenter's Halloween. As well as 2018's Halloween, a look at what the formidable franchise brings to the table after 40 years of mayhem and murder. As a disclaimer, we must warn you that the dark art contains in-depth discourse on the subject of horror films, and therefore may contain descriptions of situations deemed frightening, traumatic, and inappropriate for children. And as a secondary warning, addressing the major plot points of these movies doesn't come without major spoilers for the films discussed. So as they say, enter if you dare. Indeed. So as we introed, we're dealing with one of the all-time greats in the horror genre, Halloween. And for our listeners, I'll go ahead and read a small synopsis of each film. The original Halloween is the story of a cold Halloween night in 1963, when six-year-old Michael Myers brutally murdered his 17-year-old sister Judith. He was sentenced and locked away for 15 years. But on October 30, 1978, a 21-year-old Myers steals a car and escapes the institution where he is being held. He returns to his quiet hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois, where he looks for his next victims. And we fast forward 40 years to Halloween 2018. It's been years since Laurie Strode survived the vicious attack from crazed killer Michael Myers on Halloween night. Locked up in an institution, Myers manages to escape when his bus transfer goes horribly wrong. Laurie now faces a terrifying showdown when the masked madman returns to Haddonfield, Illinois, but this time, she's ready for him. So you were super excited to to talk about these two movies, mostly because of a fascination with Jamie Lee Curtis that you've got. Can you talk about that a little bit? Her pedigree is well known at this point, with her with her father being Tony Curtis and her mother being Janet Lee, who was you know also a horror icon from her from her performance as Marion Crane in Psycho, which Jamie Lee herself dressed up as for Halloween this year mm-hmm. on the red carpet. So I thought that was really a sweet homage to her mom. But. As you said, this was a great role for her to start. It showcased a lot of great talents that she had. She had really great facial expressions, good body movement. I felt throughout the whole performance, her fear seemed so real. And the resilience she displayed was, it was really easy to root for. And I've continued to follow her career and She's known as a scream queen, but as as years went on, she branched out. She did other fantastic movies, such as Trading Places and True Lies, and she's yes, great at comedy Friday as well. with Lindsay Lohan. I I really dug her performance in that. I just really think she's a great actress. She's one of my favorites. So yes, I was very excited to talk about these two movies in part, a large part, because of her. <laughs> so for me, um, this was one of the first scary movies that that I saw on television and um, it premiered 
on our October 30th, 1981. So I would have been six and a half, or almost seven years old. And I, NBC premiered it. Um, they did make some changes to it because um, the, the original movie had uh, more violence and some nudity that they had to cut out. And so um, at the time, Carpenter was working on Halloween 2, and they were able to convince him to reshoot some scenes that they were able to put into the the TV version. So the interesting thing for me is that was the version that was burned into my brain when I was a little kid. I don't know how I ended up watching it. I remember it was at my grandparents' house, and I think all the adults were playing games, and, you know, that, that's just kind of how it was. Um, the TV only had a few channels, and you turned it on, and whatever came on, you watched. But I remember watching this show, and it 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 terrified me that to have Michael Myers um, the scene especially where he had the sheet over his head and was pretending to be um, the one girl's boyfriend came in with glasses on over the sheet I remember being so terrified that I had to close my eyes while I watched it but the unfortunate thing about the the TV airing and how they went to fill some of the extra time is that they alluded to what they had decided to do in Halloween 2 which was to draw a bigger connection between Jamie Lee Curtis's character Laurie Strode and Michael by making him uh, making the two of them brother and sister which if you watch just the original Halloween from start to finish that doesn't fit in my mind and and that's why i was so happy that the 2018 halloween it 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 ignored everything after the first movie basically it was it said halloween one happened nothing else happened and now we're going to continue the the story 40 years later so that was one of the best things i think they could have done because i did feel like the the Michael Myers as a brother was tacked on it didn't feel natural and it if you if you even knowing that and going back and rewatching the original Halloween it doesn't fit it doesn't fit in any way um, I agree that it doesn't fit and it almost seemed like his you know his initial fixation for the you know he was going after these two girls who were who were babysitting and her friend Annie was his first victim. He was spending a majority of the time stalking her that evening. And also she is the one that ended up, you know, being presented with the Judith Myers headstone, right. you know, in the bedroom when Lori came in and saw her. So I agree. Um, what's interesting about what I really liked about the way that the, t the 2018 movie handled all the other sequels was that they treated it as urban legend and that yeah. it was just stories that the people in the town had told about Lori and tried to you know justify this horrible thing that had happened to her as people do you know there's a reason that urban legends and myths and gossip and all of those things kind of come into play you and I are from the same small town we know how it can be when <laughs> small town people get a hold of an idea and I, I thought that was genius. I thought it was great. 
I did too, and I, I think that by taking out that family connection that never really existed, it, it ignores the chaos of, of what happens in the first movie. Um, I think the, the 2018 movie, there is a new connection between Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis, and, and Michael Myers because of the original movie, the, the, what happened 40 years before. And I think we need to talk about that a little bit and the trauma um, that that deals with. But I think the chaos is almost scarier to me that Michael Myers just happens to go home, you know, a place, the only place he knew um, that he had been away from for many years being locked up in a, in a psych hospital. It makes sense that he would go home. Um, there, there's a lot of jokes online about how we, we wonder how he learned to drive from being in the psych hospital from about six years old to when I he really escaped. I really like how the movie hit that head on. They did. They they <laughs> did hit that head on, and uh, and I and you know none of that really matters. It, but uh, there there are jokes about it. Um, but I I thought that the chaos of him just randomly seeing somebody and deciding. I'm going to follow and kill those people because, you know, maybe they reminded him of his sister or what, whatever the reason was to me is a lot scarier than him somehow making some kind of family connection. I agree. It's a lot scarier when there's not really a motive other than they just want to do it. Well, and Loomis, the doctor that has treated Michael in the first movie and, not really treated him, but he, he's decided that Michael is just the personification of evil. That he, there's nothing in there really but evil. That To me, that is scarier than, than anything else. Sometimes with, uh, I mean, we see all the time in serial killer movies now that you can understand them and even cheer for them. I think, you know, watching the TV series Hannibal, I mean, I... I watch that because I love Hannibal. I think he's awesome. <laughs> and But you don't feel that when it comes to Michael Myers in these movies. He's just, you don't know what's behind those eyes. You don't, it doesn't really matter because he's the personification of, of evil that, that nobody's really ready for, I think. It's true. So the way I approached our viewing of this movie is I actually discovered that I know someone who has somehow made it to their mid-30s without seeing any of these movies except Halloween H2O when they were in <laughs> high school. So this person agreed to watch the movie with me, going in fresh, and the only thing that he knew about it was just what he's learned from general Halloween pop culture references. So he already knew about the family connection from H2O. And what he knew of Michael Myers was, you know, the horror trope that we all laugh about. The unkillable, unstoppable, wall, beast type person that can take six slugs to the chest, that can take being stabbed several times, dropped off a building, drowned, hit with a car, no matter what, and they just keep coming. So... So what did he, that, that's so fun that you got to have an experience like that. It was, it was fascinating to see his reaction to the movie because 
when it was over, he said, I have to admit I'm really surprised at how close to reality most of that movie walked. He said that the stalking part where Michael Myers was just following these teenage girls around town, showing up, staring at them, and then disappearing, kind of taking his time, looming around. It, it seemed, he said it created a really terrifying atmosphere because of how real that could possibly be. Especially because he was hiding his face, he was lurking in the shadows, he was finding weapons as they appeared. He didn't come armed. As a matter of fact, he strangled the first girl in the car. Yeah. And he actually strangled the second girl with a telephone cord. Um, most of the, the stabbing, that there wasn't really that much. As a matter of fact, he was also surprised at the lack of gore in this movie. He said, okay, well, I get it. He, he choked two of these victims but he stabbed this guy, and there's no blood. That's true. And I said, yeah, that's that's true. I think they may have done that to keep that out of, uh, I guess they were called X-rated theaters back then. <laughs> I'm not yeah. exactly sure. Um, but I'm. it was really cool to me to have somebody watch it and see how this started and how all of this lore of an unstoppable boogeyman was something that developed over time. And the original movie was a lot more chilling for its, you know, closely hewing to a realistic situation. Well, I know that John Carpenter showed an early um, cut of this movie to one of the producers, I think. And he watched it and said, that's just not scary. And it was because they hadn't added the music, um, the, the music that John Carpenter wrote and... and Basically, he, he did all of the music himself. And one of the things about the first movie, he, he was never afraid to just have these long takes um, where the camera just stayed on Michael or stayed on the girls as they walked down the street. And that mixed with that music really set a different feeling, I think, that, that not a lot of movies have... I, some of my favorite horror movies replicate that. Um, these longer, slower takes that make you kind of think about things a little bit. And this idea of being stalked is, is one of the best uh, parts to come out of that, I think. I agree. The it, I remember the first time I watched this movie. I was a little bit older. My mom was pretty firm about me not getting to watch movies that were rated R until I was in my late teens. So I watched it with her the first time, and I remember I felt really uneasy. And that music is a part of it. Uh, it's essential to creating the mood. And I know that that, that music has been inspiration to a lot of of artists not just not just musicians you know, movie makers even novelists i gotta say one of my favorite halloween adjacent items that has come out in the past few years was trent reznor's take on that halloween theme it was really cool and i love trent reznor and nine inch nails has yeah. always been great 
So um, one thing I wanted to point out is that a lot of folks look at Halloween as a morality tale. And um, and and this had been done prior in, in like the 50s and 60s. The kids that were doing things wrong got murdered. Um, and then this has been done to death in the Halloween sequels and in, in every movie and many, many horror movies. In fact, the movie Scream makes fun of it, saying that there's these rules that, you know, if you're in a horror movie and you have sex, you're going to get killed. If you do drugs or drink, you're going to get killed. Um, and the interesting thing is I rewatched the original Halloween. That's That isn't really what's happening here, is, is my take on it. I think that what it does is shows that the unlucky Michael Myers has... He, he's crossed paths with some... I think that Loomis understood Michael Myers. I think that everybody else in the movie are just normal people. It, the way I've looked at it as I, as I rewatched it this time. The kids weren't, you know, abusing drugs and being terrible people. They, they were... Um, they were just... It was a weekend. And there was a boyfriend and a girlfriend. And they were spending time together. And, and they're... None of it was extreme, even for that time, for, for that many years ago, I didn't think. I think that the thing that was so interesting is Laurie Stroh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, um, is that she was such a unique person. I mean, you kn I've met people, I, I was to some degree a person like this in high school, the kind of person that cares about grades and... and college and future but Laurie Strode's character I think is really unique she um, in many conversations she was carrying her book she was talking uh, about the, basically she was carrying her books home to do homework on a Friday night Halloween night and babysit at the same time she was more responsible than anyone else even Dr. Loomis I think uh, she's more responsible than any adult in that movie and it was like she had things figured out, and it reminded me of, um, you remember in Men in Black when Will Smith has to take the test to be a man in black? And Oh, yes, I remember that. You remember the... Fantastic scene. Yeah, so he's there with a bunch of military types, and they they all get guns, and all they, they have these cardboard cutouts of aliens pop out, and the lights are flashing, and the military folks are shooting everything up and Will Smith fires once and shoots the little girl in the in the forehead and when he's questioned about it later he says I mean this is messed up she's she's got a book with quantum physics on it she's way too young to have a book like that she's in this bad neighborhood and I, th I kind of have thought in a humorous way that Laurie Strode is a lot like that she's she's a very um, driven smart person and I think that that personality is what leads her to the 2018 movie and it and it's it, it really reveals that process how she dealt with trauma but also that she of all the people to mess with Michael shouldn't mess with such a focused um, intelligent person like she's ready to just like Will Smith says she's about to start some shit and I think she didn't maybe know that she didn't know that that was her capacity but 
when she saw what Michael was, she was convinced. She knew that, that this would never end unless she ended it. And I don't think anyone in any other horror movie has ever really caught that so quickly as she did. I would agree with that. And also, she was doing, in many ways, the same thing as Michael. She was assessing the situation, and she found weapons to fight back with. Yeah, the coat hanger. What was in the house? The knitting needle, the coat hanger. You know, she was, she right. was just doing just what Just like, you you're do. right. That's just like Michael. Yeah, I, I think that um, the what she went through, I, I read an, uh, I think it was an interview with Jamie Lee about the 2018 uh, movie. I just wanted to review just one little part. She, she said, um, trauma is generational. She's, uh, it, this was talking about her character and how it makes the leap from the older movie to the newer movie. But one of the things that we do know is that back when that movie was made and, and in that generation, PTSD, um, a lot of what we understand now about trauma was not only not understood, it was not acknowledged in any way. Um, I, what this interview talked about is that... that uh, they believe that Lori Strode went to school the next day after this all happened. She went to school with a bandage on her arm and maybe some stitches from the emergency room. She th um, it says, I think her parents sent her back to school. Of course, two days before, she was an intellectual honor student, student heading off to be the valedictorian of her class. And two days later, she's walking down the hall and they're like, hey, there's Lori Strode. Hi, Lori. And because of the time period she just had to keep going after that I believe that that's a very realistic take on what likely would have been the outcome after that night and I and think it points towards because the new as movie. we know at the end of the original movie despite being hit several times with a couple of bullets and falling off a balcony, Michael disappears into the night and we have no idea where he went. And when she, when Lori was trying to convince the kids that she was babysitting that the boogeyman wasn't real, I think she, she learned very quickly that the boogeyman was real and she didn't, it didn't paralyze her, this idea that, you know, this guy can't be killed if it is a guy. She, decided then back when she was this young woman that that wasn't going to stop her from doing whatever she had to do to protect herself and and keep herself safe and the people around her and that that really leads into the 2018 movie which um this flash forward into what her life must have become is pretty bleak actually it's pretty sad what um, and a lot of that may be just because she didn't have a method to deal with that trauma um, and because she sincerely understood what Michael's nature was. Yes. So flashing forward to the 2018 version, um, there was a sense I felt, I mean, even though the 78 version was made in a time where, you know, filmmaking in many ways wasn't as technologically sophisticated 
this movie, the 2018 version, had a grit to it that the 78 one didn't. Like, the 78 one almost seemed more polished to me. And I think it was because they really wanted us to get the feel of how rough Lori's life had been since that incident. That's just my take on it. No, I, mean, I, I, I agree that that's why that they filmed it. Or anything like that, but I think it was a pretty effective way to kind of put us in the mindset of the rough road that someone has taken after a traumatic event like this. I mean, it was automatic empathy for me. I felt terrible for Lori. They waste no time in letting you know that her life hasn't exactly gone well. They have the podcaster show up at her house to talk to her about the incident and the the subsequent events and they don't waste any time with asking her a question about her daughter being taken away from her by child protective services which, at which point she ends the interview and orders them out of her house which i think is reasonable yeah at the age of 12 i think it was yes at um, the age of 12 they they say something the i think it was the the gal who was talking to her the podcaster that said Two failed marriages, rocky relationship with daughter and granddaughter, lost custody of the daughter when her daughter was 12. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I guess that's how people interview people these days, but um, really just a gut shot for everyone that that um, stood by Lori in the first movie and was cheering for her <laughs> and to, to hear what has happened to her is... It's really sad, to be honest. You know, I've, I've had a couple of careers that involve interviews, both my careers in uh, journalism and in the legal profession. I'm telling you, that is not a way to get someone <laughs> to talk. That is really not how you do it. So I was shocked, not only because my heart has gone out to Lori so many times in so many movies over all these years, but just for the fact that Hey, that's not how you treat an interview subject. What's wrong with you? Like, not whatever to mention happened to responsible journalism? Not to mention the fact that they're dealing with one of the biggest badasses ever. I mean, they're like, she's lucky she didn't get her nose broken at that point. And she would have very much deserved to have her nose broken. <laughs> that was ridiculous. I did think it was interesting, the relationship with... Uh, Lori and her family um, in in the 2018 movie um, you know she still had a connection to her daughter and to her granddaughter and, and the granddaughter is actually um, pushing to try to get her mother and her and Lori back together and to interact um, and Lori obviously has kind of a private hidden relationship with her granddaughter that that nobody knows about and I thought it was interesting that Lori you know from the time her daughter was born you get this idea that she was teaching her to to shoot and to train herself um, physically and mentally especially for Michael coming back into their lives she she knew that it was an eventuality that this would happen and she was preparing her daughter for I mean it's the idea of what's the scariest thing for a parent to to have to worry about um she she it's michael to her and she's doing everything she can to prepare this daughter and yet when it comes to her granddaughter um she's in fact i remember her talking to her granddaughter saying 
you should, uh, you know, screw college. You should go travel. Go to Mexico. Go, go live your life. So that was a little interesting that it makes you wonder if maybe she was even um, starting to see the results of that life that she's led and, 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 and kind of mourning it a little bit and wanting with this new generation for her granddaughter just to get out of town and not have to deal with this junk. I think that's probably what I would want for my daughter too and any granddaughter that I might have. I would... I would, I think the human aspect there is that you, you never want people you love to experience the hardships that you did. So for us to see a really great example of that, it, it just continues to humanize the story and further, you know, cement Lori as the heroine in our hearts. I mean, I think that she continues to just you know, perpetually be the person that we're rooting for. And I really like that. And going to the 2018 movie, I remember being surprised at how much I liked it, which is weird because I, I typically don't dislike horror movies even when they're really, really bad. I just love the experience of watching horror movies. But I remember thinking that the merits of this as a film were overall quite solid. I didn't remember the violence being as brutal as it was. When I uh, revisited that, I'm like, wow, this gore is really over the top. But I think it was, uh, it was because I watched that one and the original so close together. And we had, we had the, su the suspense being the focus and violence with a lack of blood as opposed to like in your face brutality. We're going to show you everything, how it would really look. Yeah, it I was think jarring, but I liked it. It was it was good. It I was think good. that shows you know they they might have decided to go that route back in the seventies if they could have, but um, they really couldn't. They 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 it it wouldn't get out of the gate. I don't think there's a couple of really horrifically violent movies from the the seventies, but really very few and and o nor even. Now only a handful of people have seen most of those horrific movies. They just didn't get uh, played anywhere. But yeah, I think that the violence um, is definitely ratcheted up and, and much more bloody. Um, but I think that in a way um, it, it prepares you for the preparation that, l that Lori is, has done to her home and to herself um she's she's ready for all of this and i think it also speaks to how michael has been cooped up for this long if if you go from the first movie to this movie and you know he's probably pretty anxious to get to to get busy and he knows he only has a certain amount of time that may be the only thing he learned from the first movie is he's going to have to and that, i mean he was just going house to house to house this wasn't stalking, finding um, somebody that reminded him of somebody or of his sister. He was just, and I like the way they shot this, where you, it, this was shot many times from the outside of the homes, and he would just go in and, like you mentioned, grab whatever was handy and, and get to work killing people. And I think that the 2018 version was a return to form in that, because when he went and picked off 
his first intended victims, which were those two podcasters who presented him with his mask. Yeah. I mean, he, he beat them to death. He didn't use really any weapon at all except what happened to be around. And he just kind of went right back into his old ways. And I, I thought that, like you say, the brutality of it in that, that bathroom scene where um, the podcaster is crawling under the stalls and it, it's it's jarring. It it does have a, a different feel than the the dread that came in the other movie. It was more in your face, but I think that's where we are these days with our movies and with the news and with I mean, you can see anything anywhere on the internet at any time, whether you want to or not. I think it had to evolve to some degree. Yes, I think there wasn't really much of a choice in that. I will say the the most jarring moment in the 2018 version, the moment that really, really got under my skin and bothered me, was the moment when the doctor, my Dr. Loomis's replacement killed officer hawkins oh yeah so that michael could continue on that bothered me at my core it really really made me upset and i've seen a lot of horror movies <laughs> i don't get upset easily well but it reminded me of um of natural born killers when uh who's the iron man actor robert downey jr um, he ends up joining the uh, uh, Woody Harrelson and um, can't remember her name off the top of my head. Anyway, they're in a prison riot and they're murdering people. And he's he's the uh, the reporter with the camera. I think there was a cameraman that got murdered, and he starts getting in on it as well. And I think they capture like that that it felt the same, just so wrong and. Uh, and for this doctor who's been studying the human mind and trying to treat and, and the oaths, oaths that uh, he's taken to do that, it's just so upsetting to, to a policeman who's also <laughs> promised to protect and serve. So I agree. I, that part was really upsetting. So later when Michael does the Watusi on his head, that I was like, good. <laughs> I'm all right with that. Yeah, that was, that was a justified kill. We, yeah, we weren't upset that to see a good that guy one. go. <laughs> But let's talk for a second about uh, the ending of this movie and kind of the, because I, I was, I, I was really, I wanted to know more about Lori and her family relationships, and I think the middle of the movie, you really don't get a lot of that. It's mostly Michael going from door to door, killing people. But the ending, I feel, um, really brings it back and gives you a little twist that that excited me. I mean, it, it, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, when you find out that Lori has is basically been luring Michael into her house and has created, I wouldn't say that they're home alone type traps for him, but kind of. I was kind of thinking that same thing. And it also kind of reminded me of the lore in Nightmare on Elm Street when Nancy brings Freddie out of her dream and she had her whole house set up. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It, it feels like that. They basically, they've set traps in this house and in luring Michael to the basement, 
um, it's that's where the trap sprung, and they are then ready to torch the place. And yep. uh, and, and great teamwork, great plot twist, having Karen be essentially the bait, saying you know that. She can't do it. She can't do yes. it. So when Michael comes to get her, she switches. I love that. That was yeah. great. And you know that there's no way that uh, uh, her character could have done that without the the training she had from probably birth to the age of 12. That there'd just be no way. And so Jamie Lee Curtis's preparation, I mean, Lori's preparation was valid. It, it, it paid off, basically. Yes, I was going to say, what vindication for Lori <laughs> that, you know, she knew she knew this was coming. She was right about everything and she was able to effectively protect her daughter, which is what she wanted, her daughter and her granddaughter. And not only that, she she was able to train her daughter to protect herself, which um, was probably from day one her, her main goal. Um, so I, I we can't really get into the next movie. I don't I I don't want to anyway. I think that it takes some different turns and twists that um, that really I questioned a little bit to be honest. Um, I I love the original movie and this movie together. I feel like they're great bookends. And I and the way I look at it is if somebody wants to know about Halloween, like you say, if you're 30 years old and you've never watched a Halloween movie you you know all about it kind of but you've never sat down I would say sit down and watch these two movies together and that's it maybe um, I think you'll capture the feeling of the the entire um, franchise without some of the more corny and and I mean, I, I mean, I, I love all the movies. Don't get me wrong. I could watch Season of the Witch with the masks, and again, even though it's just silly, it, it, it's downright silly. But if you want a taste of Halloween, the movie, I think those two are the ones to sit down and watch. And it is a little bit of a mixed company. I think that um, not everybody's going to be okay with um, some of the nudity in the first movie if if they don't. If, if that bothers them and the killing in the second movie is just crazy over the top I think there's not a lot of movies as brutal as that I mean there are but not I can tell you those people don't want to watch those either so it's it's a little bit of a, a stretch I I would say if you want to sit down and watch a scary movie and and you haven't watched them yet it's definitely worthwhile to to watch them both but um, Y you need to pack a lunch for the violence for sure in the second movie. Oh, yes. And, you know, part of the underlying genius of all of this, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, but the fact that they named these movies Halloween gives them that seasonal, you know, association that they will have forever. <laughs> so it's very possible that long after you and I are ashes to ashes and dust to dust, people will still be watching Halloween because it's just part of the holiday now. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so too. I think that it's, these movies are great. They're fun. They're, they capture what we like about horror, which is that tingling feeling of being scared in different ways, of course. <laughs> 
And again, the the Jamie Lee Curtis um, evolution. Not only is her her as an actress, I think that as an actress, um, the 2018 shows a range that obviously she never could have done as a younger person, and and she's been in so much. And um, good for her to be to be called Scream Queen or or whatever she wants is being referred to as. She's a heck of an actress, and she pulls it off in that in this new movie. And to be all in on it after that many years, and to be, you know, I think um, you look at some of the other big franchises that where they've rebooted or they've like the Star Wars franchise. I think that I know that um, Carrie Fisher many times was like, I don't know why I'm still doing this stuff. Um, even in you know, she kind of spoke her mind, which I loved about Carrie Fisher, but um, she would say, I. I I don't know why I'm doing it, but I think that Jamie Lee Curtis is all in, and she just owns every bit of it, and I I, I hope that there's more to come from her. I know that there will be in, in this, in the in the subsequent 2018 movies. I know there'll be one, they, they're planning one more after this, but I could watch her in anything, to be honest. She's great. Same. These movies are special, and they're s- they've become such a part of horror culture. I mean, I was even once part of a prank utilizing Michael Myers to scare people, and it was funny to see how they reacted just like the people in the movies. You know, we always laugh at girls who scream and fall down and can't open their car door <laughs> and just completely lose their minds when they are faced with, you know, this terrifying figure, and... We laugh at it on we laughed at it on the screen, but you know what? I got to see firsthand that when you're presented with that, that's really what happens. So we had our um, haunted house uh, that I do every year at my house, and I p- I made a portion of it where it looked like a camping scene, and uh, I had I have an animatronic Michael Myers that I put um, under the tent, and then we had an actor hiding in a corner and as people came ar- came around the corner all they could do is stare at at Michael and he would move slightly and so they they were all eyes on Michael Myers and so when the actor playing Jason Voorhees would jump out it was some of them would fall down we had one lady fall down and hopefully she won't sue my my ass on that deal but uh Fingers crossed. Yeah, but no, we had people literally just run, grown grown men (laughs) running away, and it's fun, but it's real. You're right. That that the fear that comes from just seeing that mask and that that the face um, is enough to. I think it's almost uh, something internal that goes way back to (laughs) caveman days. Something about it's just haunting. So. And uh, I'm to cap this off. I gotta say, I recently ordered a T-shirt. It is Channing Tatum in Magic Mike with the Michael Myers mask over his face, <laughs> and the T-shirt says Magic Mike. So <laughs> I'm just sad that it wasn't here for this taping. 